I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Pernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Wow, I really like you've been practicing that radio voice, and I, I appreciate it. It is noticed. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> I've been taking lessons from Terry Gross. <laughs> uh, I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Um, Before we get into anything this week, at the top of the episode, we want to mention that there's a really neat retreat opportunity coming up in June 17th to the 20th. Um, We don't like organize a lot of of events or, well, we don't like announce them. We don't organize any of them, (laughs) but we don't announce the ones other people doing usually. But we thought we would this time because the retreat is organized by Friendly Fire and Christians for Socialism and the Catholic Worker uh, in Minnesota. And you might remember back when we talked to our friend Haesung on episode 63 about the last Friendly Fire retreat that happened around May Day of last year, which is really a cool, cool thing, um, a really kind of amazing time that had some some neat actions and a lot of good relationships and networks are built there, I think. Um, if you haven't listened to it, you should take a listen to it. Uh, but this year, the theme is Another Church is Possible. And they're raising money to sponsor people who need assistance to go and can't afford it but would like to. And we'll put a link in our show notes. But if you would like to donate, and you should, you can do it at chuffed.org, C-H-U-F-F-E-D, slash project, slash Friendly Fire. And there's also more information at their website at friendlyfireretreat.org. Yeah, it seems like it'll be a really cool retreat. Last year, uh, Dean and I made the dumbest decision, which was to not go. It was a bad one. it was a bad decision. I mean, it seems like uh, things like this just don't happen very often, right? Um, I mean, everyone that says they like our podcast also usually tells us about how alone they felt before they found out there are other Christians who are also leftists. And this is a time where you can get out there and just be with people who are like you for a change. And that's a nice thing, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And the fact, too, that um, the the organizers are trying to make it possible for people to come uh, you know, from all over the place is really important too. So, you know, that you have to apply to go, but don't be shy because, you know, if you're able to, this is a, a great opportunity to meet some of the folks and, um, you know, whether you're like into the Christian left stuff for a long time, or you're just kind of like sorting out all this stuff. Um, it's a really great group of folks that I think would probably be, uh, very like good, good comrades and, and, uh, good listeners and, 
good people to sort of work with uh, just for that few days. Yeah, totally. So uh, anyways, go. It's June 17th through the 20th. You can find out more information at FriendlyFireRetreat.org. Just do it. That's the tagline. (laughs) Just do it. Yeah, they're fighting with uh, Nike over it right now. Um, Another church is possible. Just do it. (laughs) Send them money for those legal fees. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of uh, another church is possible, um, to get into why this theme is actually very cool, uh, it reminded us of a really neat essay by a French communist named Louis Althusser called A Matter of Fact. So here's like the most boring, long, extended commercial for why you should go to this retreat. Uh, Two people talking about a very old (laughs) thing that, that a communist wrote one time. Um, Althusser is probably one of the most important communist thinkers in the 20th century. We talked about him with John Greenaway, who's better known as the Lit Crit guy, back on episode 20. That was really fun. You can learn a little bit more about ideology and that sort of thing. But a lot of people forget, I think, that Althusser started out as a Catholic. And in some of his early writings, he tries to bring Marxist philosophy to bear on the church and kind of figure out how these things go together. Um, so to kind of make this connection with like what they're doing at this retreat, uh, I thought we could maybe just start out this conversation actually at the end of Althusser's essay. And this is kind of what made me think of it. Um, so Althusser closes his essay and we'll figure out how he gets there. Uh, like this, he says, the future of the church just depends on the number and the courage of those Christians who day by day are developing an awareness of the necessity of the struggle and joining the ranks of the world proletariat. It also depends on the concrete reduction by these same people of their own religious alienation. The church will live thanks to those who, through struggle and in struggle, are once again discovering that the word was born among human beings and dwelt among them, and who are already preparing a humane place for it amongst humans. So this idea of like another church being possible is exactly what motivates Althusser to actually look for tools in Marxism and Marxist theory to think through why the church is the way that it is now and also think through maybe how to like loosen up the ground so that the church could really be what it's supposed to be. You know, a uh, a community of people um, confessing that the word is born among human beings and that that's good news. Uh, so Althusser's big problem is sort of like, how come nobody seems to care about this really, really good news? Uh, well, maybe Marxism can help us figure that out. Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. Um, I love, I love that type of provocation, um, of, uh, who is the good news for? And does it actually sound like good news to them? Um, cause if it doesn't sound like good news, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and who would see it as good news and maybe who would see it even yeah. as bad news. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, Althusser kind of works through these ideas, um, starting uh, kind of from a weird actual metaphor that we're going to sort of skip over about a sick person asking questions. <laughs> um, uh, it's it, it. Go read the essay. It's called A Matter of Fact, in case you've already forgotten. But go read the essay. It's worth it. It's also not very long. But we're going to skip the very beginning because it's not super important. And we're going to uh, start where Althusser kind of starts digging in uh, with a section called The Historical Situation. Um, so uh, the historical situation of the church, Althusser thinks, is this. On the one hand, the world no longer listens to the church, whose words fail to reach the men of our day. The church has become a virtual stranger for broad masses of people who are already the present and future of this world. On the other hand, when we consider the people faithful to the church, the question arises as to whether their faithfulness is still religious. So, 
this uh, is the initial problem. I mean, this is the, the central problem to the entirety of this essay. Um, and Althusser wants to uh, think through this exact problem. Why does the church not matter to most people? And then um, to the people it does matter to, is it actually, you know, is their uh, faithfulness to the church like still religious in an important way? And I think that um, this is not really an unf- unfamiliar territory for this podcast or even for you dear listener, as a person who's been on the internet, because this is basically what people talk about constantly, you know, whether or not the, um, like the, the white supremacy and Christian nationalism of the religious right in the United States is actually Christianity or it's something else, right? I mean, Althusser is asking basically the same question, or he's kind of, he's trying to inquire about something similar. Why doesn't anybody care about the church? And then also, um, the people who do care, uh, are they really all that religious in the first place? Yeah, it's a neat way of framing it, especially, I think, because uh, this is a question that every honest Christian sort of asks themselves at one point or another during their spiritual life, I think. Like, um, how come this thing that is actually very important to me doesn't really seem to, like, make much of a difference to most people? Uh, or if yeah. if they say that it does, how come they're not, you know, if you, like, if you get way into Christianity and then everyone at your church is kind of like, hey, maybe dial it back, like, that's a weird thing, right? Um, I think that happens to a lot of like Christian radicals, especially. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Althusser offers a few kind of interesting um, suggestions for why the situation is the way that it is. Uh, I'll just read like a couple um, of framing things that he says, and we can talk in detail a little bit in a moment too. But he says, the modern church is no longer at home in our times, and the vast majority of the faithful are in the church for reasons that are not really of the church. And he goes on to say, the contemporary church is still very closely tied by way of its social, ideological, and political positions to feudal and capitalist structures. So what Althusser is saying is the reason that people don't really hear the church is because the church actually belongs to some other time. Um, It belongs to either a pre-capitalist world, and it's kind of just like hanging on, and it feels alien to us today, uh, and not in like a good way (laughs) for Althusser. Um, or it belongs to capitalism, which Althusser also thinks is something that's going to be passing away. You know, he's a Marxist, so, like, um, the church isn't really, like, ahead of uh, the world. Um, it's it's stuck in these, these uh, structures for a lot of different reasons, um, but that's why people don't hear it as something different or something radical or new, because it's so sort of bound up in either times gone by or, you know, not not really saying anything all that radical right now. Um, so that's the one side of it. And the other side is that uh, the the idea of people not being very religious is that they're part of the church precisely because they too kind of in some sense still belong to that time as well. These are like, uh, he uses language like vestigial sort of parts in our society that make our life meaningful. So, you know, you could think of like lots of people who go to church just because like that's what they've always done. That's kind of changing now, I guess. Um, probably more true in like 1949 when Althusser was writing this. But nevertheless, uh, anybody who grew up in like a Christian family probably has something of a feeling of what that's like. Um, and I mean, it, it's telling probably that this still speaks to us today, right? The church, um, you know, almost a century later still hasn't really uh gotten out of this sort of pre-capitalist or capitalist way of thinking. Yeah, actually I really appreciate this way of framing the problem. So um immediately when I when I read this bit from Althusser that's like, well the church is alien to the world, 
I immediately, I mean, like, if I read the word church and alien in the same sentence, I always think of Resident Aliens, that right. uh, wild-ass Stanley Harawas book. Um, and, uh, okay, it's interesting because Stanley Harawas thinks exactly the opposite, that the, the church is, like, an alien sort of community and, like, good. Um, because, like, Christians should be unique people in the world who are, like, completely out of touch with regular society because we live so radically differently and that kind of thing. But Altusser kind of gets to the, I mean, the materialist reading that he gives to this, I think, is really important because it's like, well, the, you know, the reason that Christians are alien to the world is because they're stuck in this, like, very different way of thinking about economy <laughs> or, or like, right. uh, political structures, not because they're so consumed by uh, practicing sort of like the the virtues of Jesus or the early church or something it's you know they're it's a different a different type of uh reason for the alienation and you know it's good to point out yeah i like that you brought up Harawas too because obviously this is a an article written by a catholic and he has the catholic church in mind um and there is a specificity there that makes a difference in fact we'll talk about like a very specifically catholic thing in a minute um but, like, much of what he says, I think, is also true, even if it's somewhat differently true for Protestants. Um, yeah. You know, just you have to do a little bit of translating work, but the basic principle, I think, still operates. Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, speaking of those Catholic things, <laughs> let me tell you about them. <laughs> Please do. You, Dean, you'll probably have to unpack some of this because uh, my peanut-sized Protestant brain cannot <laughs> even comprehend them. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're, it's about things that are not the Bible, and I don't get it. Uh, I'll give um, you some of the okay. secrets that they tell us after we get confirmed. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so Altusser says, uh, It is no longer Aristotelian physics that saved Thomas' concepts. It is rather the vestiges of a medieval world still present in our own. These concepts do not survive by the grace of God. They are sustained by the lives of men who, because they are subject to archaic structures, conceive and experience their world and lives, politics and economy, practical morality, and the education of their children, so to say nothing of their naive theology and the terms and concepts of these structures engendered when they held sway. Okay, so he's, again, poking at, uh, well, th he's poking at this very specific sort of like, uh, Catholic theology uh, with regards to natural law that the church kind of upholds for some reason, even though it doesn't, um, you know, necessarily reflect the actual world that we live in or something, that these concepts don't survive by the grace of God, but by people, it's that good materialist sort of uh, reading of theology. So, Dean, why is this significant for me? Uh, a person who does not understand Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely matters for, for Catholics in a unique way, and I can speak to that for a second, then maybe we could try to um, build some bridges to make some, some Protestant points. But, um, yeah, I mean, the premise here is that the language that Catholics think in terms of philosophically and theologically stems mostly from pre-modern and pre-capitalist people. Uh, you know, like the way that we explain our faith to ourselves is in terms set out by these kinds of theologians who inhabited a very, very different kind of world. And Althusser, I mean, earlier you mentioned that, that he's bringing this materialist reading to this, uh, to the problems of Christianity. You can see it here as well, um, you know, where he says, like, the concepts don't survive by the grace of God, but they're sustained by the laws of, of people. Um, that I think is the key point. So like he talks a little bit about how the church is, is sort of, 
um, still thinking in a conceptual universe that comes to us from like 13th century, you know, from like the 1200s or something. Um, even its arguments are still framed in terms of like the arguments that people were having back then. So if you go to like a Catholic theology conference and it's like very Catholic, TM, 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 uh, they typically will still be sort of rehashing grounds over like, well, you know, was Augustine right on this point? Was Thomas right on this point? And like that, that's fine. Uh, but what Alfie Sarah is saying is uh, these concepts aren't being sort of protected by the church because they're precisely divine in their like specificity. It's because the church itself is an institution that's still kind of held over from that same time period. Uh, it's, it's one more way in which the church is out of step. Um, which isn't necessarily to say, I guess, that, you know, there's nothing of value there or anything. Um, but it's just to say that uh, the the main reason that these things hold on is really because uh, the, the whole lives of people are determined um, by our pasts as well. So it's interesting because Althusser, as a Marxist, obviously, is trying to also make, a, a th- I think, a really interesting subtle argument that there's no reason that the church can't also kind of take up Marxism um, and, and think of that, you know, conceptually uh, the same way that it took up Aristotle. But just like Aristotelian physics aren't really being used anymore to make Thomistic arguments, um, so too, you know, should we sort of think about not just updating our physics, but maybe updating our political economy and that sort of thing too. So that's kind of the Catholic bit of it is like, there's no reason that we have to necessarily feel like completely trapped in like the theological language of pre-modern peoples. It's crazy. <laughs> it's such a wild thing. I mean, it, like when you, when you point it out like that, it seems actually extremely absurd, but uh <laughs> But, like, tradition is important, so I guess it's not really that absurd. It's extremely absurd until someone asks you to explain how uh, Jesus is the body and bread at Mass on Sunday. And then all of a sudden, yeah. uh, Thomas is extremely helpful. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, it's just, it's just like, interesting that, like, um, the tradition of the church would at one point allow for, like, you know, these theologians to sort of speak into... Um, the way church is done and the way we think should think about God or whatever. Um, but like, it doesn't make that same type of concession for other types of theology later or something. Yeah. Like the, the mechanism there is like, you know, very specific. This one type of theology is going to, I mean, not that like everyone's a Thomas or something, but uh, you know, it's just interesting that it catches some and other people can slip by completely ignored. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also like it's telling that some of the most interesting Catholic Marxists have also been Thomists of a certain brand, like uh, Herbert McCabe, who we talk about on the show sometimes, um, wrote a right. ton of really cool stuff about how great Thomas Aquinas is. Um, it was also, you know, very good at understanding class struggle and all that sort of thing. Um, but I do think the this broad point that Althusser is making and that you're picking up on, too, is just like important to keep hammering on that, like, you know, the world changes and our, the way that we think about it conceptually also changes whether we sort of recognize it or not. And Althusser is kind of asking us to be honest about like, well, we wouldn't go to Aristotle to get our physics anymore. So what else would we maybe not want to go to ancient peoples for? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, after uh, talking about sort of the ideology and the historical situation of the church, uh, Althusser moves on to talk about the political situation of the church. Um, and guess what? It's kind of the same <laughs> as the other of the other things we've talked about so far. Uh, so kind of starting off to contextualize like what this section of the essay was about, uh, Althusser says this. 
The overwhelming majority of the faithful are concretely tied to obsolete forms of civilization, which are struggling against a world that has condemned them to extinction, necessarily commits the church to the defense of reactionary political positions directed against the new forces of emancipation. Okay, so this is part of why, I mean, this is like part of the the historical and like the material analysis of the political situation of the church since it's kind of concretely tied to like the types of civilization that like you know feudalism that um that are being erased by capitalism or it's even you know or maybe not feudalism but maybe some other type of pre-capitalist structure or even a specific type or, or mode of capitalism that's now being outmoded by even you know newer instantiations of capitalism uh it uh, the church turns to be reactionary to sort of like um, save that uh, that sort of place it had in the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a compelling point because it's so demonstrably true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, just to, I guess, add on to it, I'll read a little bit more from Althus there too, because I think uh, what he says about this is really important. Like, it's easy to look at the the most obviously reactionary, like proudly reactionary parts of the church and come to this conclusion. But Althusser actually pushes it a little bit further, even to talk about like certain kind of social, uh, I don't know, the Catholic social teaching, which sometimes is construed as progressive. Um, so Althusser says this, we cannot affirm a priori that religion is reactionary. But when we examine what actually transpires, we can't help observing that in the contemporary world, the economic positions maintained by the church in certain countries, together with the ties and tendencies of the overwhelming majority of the faithful, determine the policies the church is currently implementing overtly and covertly. These policies are clearly reactionary, whatever the protestations and rhetorical precautions of the most sincere or intellectually supple believers and priests. The most daring public positions of the papacy which often anticipated or even offended the general opinion of the broad mass of Catholics, are merely reformist accommodations. The church's social doctrine is simply the recognition of capitalism. So mm. he makes a reference to like uh, these these papal um, documents that are, you know, thinking about like labor and uh, like Rerum Novarum, for example, you know, famously kind of puts a... a um, a premium on like like labor rights but it also has a theory of like class harmony not class struggle right and it like argues against socialism and then the same in uh the encyclical that came out 40 years after that that tried to sort of reevaluate and update the insights of rerum novarum uh again it's kind of like um you know some socialism might be okay but like don't get too excited about it don't get too wild with it um what althusser is saying is like even at its most progressive uh, what the church can sort of allow itself to do is take for granted that capitalism exists. It can't really imagine a, uh, a political economy after capitalism. So the best that it can do is sort of figure out a way to be maybe like more humane in its capitalism or in its affirmation of a certain kind of capitalism. I think that's really an interesting point that Althusser makes. It's a challenging one. I suspect a lot of people probably don't like it, <laughs> but uh, I think that it's hard to say that he's wrong, really. Some people, like, bend themselves backwards just to kind of express that Catholic social teaching is other than capitalism or something, or other than liberalism, uh, but, you know, the real kind of, like, meat and potatoes of many of these uh, encyclicals kind of comes down to, you know, if you work it out into, like, actual policies, a sort of, uh, I mean... 
like capitalists still privately own their property. So the the property relationships remain capitalist at best. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um it's it's also like the bad type of reformism. Um like the reform like uh you know you can be reformist with an eye towards something different in the future. Right. Uh, like you know a type of you know uh social democracy or even like you know a democratic socialism or whatever, but this is just reformism that is yeah, trying to make uh an a bad situation more livable i guess right yeah like t- it takes itself as like the the grease for the gears in some ways yeah i think so <laughs> uh so that's the last stuff on catholicism i don't know if there is like a very good protestant cons- uh, comparison um because i think in a lot of ways i mean even though it, like what alto is saying here about like uh you know catholic social teaching is true that it is uh merely reformist it, it is still like uh i think more progressive than most types of Protestant Christianity. So um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, it, you know, what, what he says here about Catholicism stands for Protestantism too. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it is kind of an interesting point that like, um, I mean, there are some very radical Protestants and I'm thankful for that for sure. Um, but it does seem like Catholic social teaching, even in its reformism, has kind of given birth to like some very radical movements, maybe because of, but maybe also in spite of itself. Um, you know, like uh, the Catholic worker, like Joe Cruz and Brenna Cusson came on to explain to us why they're actually a lot cooler than we thought. Because <laughs> um, I think we'd sort of like written the Catholic worker off in some ways as being like this. Um, but what's crazy about the Catholic worker is it is rooted in like Dorothy Day, who, you know, she like made the Catholic worker instead of being a communist precisely because she got way into like Ram Navarum. So uh, that's kind of a neat thing, I guess. Maybe something that Althusser doesn't fully think through. Um, but nevertheless, I think that when it comes to just the encyclicals, uh, whether or not they kind of give rise to something else, he's right. Um, whereas with Protestantism, I don't know. It's weird because there's no Protestant Pope. <laughs> that's true. Like you could probably say something about like Anabaptists uh, or like, you know, like those like, cool Mennonite communities where they practice a, a, a sort of communal type of living, but um, it's still not really socialism. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, you know, it's a nice community, though. Yeah, I mean, not to say that's not very good. I love potlucks. <laughs> uh, speaking of potlucks, <laughs> here's a good, good transition. Yeah, speak, speaking of potlucks... Uh, Altister goes on to say this to begin with the good news is no longer being announced to the men of our time because the church announces it in a language men no longer understand so uh, okay this kind of goes back to something we said earlier uh, th- oh, sorry the obvious transition here was that potluck said the good news um, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the good news that we we all do understand actually <laughs> um, well anyways go- going back to the beginning kind of of the uh, of the Altister essay I think this is a, a good and striking point because um, the good news, I mean, especially when it comes to evangelicalism or even just like mainline Protestantism, I think sometimes the good news is like completely unrecognizable from like why it is actually the good news. Mm-hmm. Like um, someone who I respect a lot, but whose Twitter has been kind of problematic for me lately is uh, <clears throat> Lisa Sharon Harper. She had that whole big thing about white supremacy and Christianity a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, she was at Greenville um last semester and she had this whole big she had this like great chapel address on this very thing about you know is the good news really good news to the people who are hearing it and like can um can like you know a christianity that's dominated by white supremacism 
give good news to like black people is is that possible like is the good news of a, a very white jesus good news to people who are not you know very white um and she said no <laughs> i think that's a good point right is the good news actually good news and if it is can people understand it uh as good news do they uh understand that like what jesus is about is liberation rather than just like a metaphysical relationship that doesn't really change the world that you live in mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, it's true. Um, I, it's actually, it's fun to kind of think of that in an evangelical register too, right? Because the whole point is to like get pumped about it, like get excited and see Jesus as like, uh, well, the whole point is to have this relationship outside the confines of, you know, what religion says about it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So the premise is like outside of all the stuff that Althusser is identifying, you know, like these feudal property relationships or like these conceptual frameworks that were invented like almost a thousand years ago. Um, like get rid of all that. Just think about Jesus. Um, but yeah, like it's bound often to capitalism in a different kind of way. Uh, but if yeah. you can sort of, yeah, figure it out, figure out like just the, the basic question, who is this good news for? That's actually not like a, a bad strategy really. Yeah. I think that Althusser probably does mean something about like, well, is the theology, does theology, does old theology make it so incomprehensible people can't understand it? But I like the other right. one better. So, right. sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, all right. Well, here's a, maybe a little bit more, too, that he, he pulls out. And this is more on the like the side of people who go to church and trying to sort that out. So he says, The fact is that the church's social alienation explains not only the indifference or hostility of the proletariat, so like working class people don't care what the church says, but also the religious alienation of the broad mass of those who have remained faithful to it. The church is so deeply committed to a certain determinate social structure, the access the faithful have to religion in their concrete lives is so thoroughly mediated by these structures, religion is, in their perception and their lives, so closely bound up with them that they experience and conceive it at the practical level as a determinate factor in their social universe. Which mm. Althusser is, is basically kind of, uh, in some ways, granting like the evangelical point, right? That like, uh, yeah, a lot of people are just Catholic because like that's just what they always do. It's not like it's not because of the good news or something. Um, <laughs> it's just because like that's what they are, and uh, it's it's interesting the evangelical Althusser uh, to come out that way. Oh my gosh, that's a book that you could write. <laughs> I would never, I would never write that book. The Evangelical Elsewhere would be a bad book, um, but it's a good book title. <laughs> By Brian's out there. But no. <laughs> um, dang. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, so there's more here about social alienation, um, and Althusser is insistent, in fact, that uh, the church learns to speak a different type of language, which I think is a an interesting thing because okay no this is this is it though this is the evangelical to sarah again god <laughs> this is okay hang on so <laughs> i'm gonna read this next part and then we're gonna have to talk about something that's very hard um <laughs> anyways Althusser goes on to say uh about this like social alienation that it's not enough to borrow people's vocabulary to speak their language the same words must refer to realities that coincide and are mutually reconcile recognizable okay so it's not just that you have to speak the language of regular people but uh, that the that the church uh, that Christianity has to say something that like actually makes sense to people. It's not just translating 
substitutionary atonement into the language of regular people, but like having religion actually say something that is meaningful to them. Um, so it's in this way you could uh, definitely create the Althusser study Bible for sure for teens. <laughs> no, no, but I think he's actually saying something. He's saying the opposite, right? He's saying that making the the study Bible for teens is exactly the problem. Like borrowing people's vocabulary to speak their language instead of like really kind of meeting people in in the world that they live in. That's the big problem. So like if you go to church and it's like uh, you know five ways that Jesus is like the Avengers. Um, that's uh that's not what you want, not what Althusser wants. No, but but think about all the ways that Christian study by or the teen study Bibles are like you know they have like those little excerpts in there that ask you questions about <laughs> yeah. high school. It's like, when did you feel like you were walking with Jesus in your math class? So it's like you know <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's making uh that's making Christianity say something that is recognizable by people. <laughs> all right, just kidding. It's not. It's not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um dang uh so i used to work at a christian bookstore it was mm-hmm. a quick side and uh there was a whole section for children's bibles and um many of them are, are there's like a, a children's bible for everything i couldn't believe it but there was one like many of them try to paraphrase biblical stories for kids which by the uh-huh. way is the right approach that's what you should do children don't need to read yeah, the bible I think so. um <laughs> But uh, the ones that didn't were so funny because uh, there was one that w- it would be like, and I'm not even making this up, the puppy's Bible. And then there was another one, the kitten's Bible. And Ooh. it's the whole Bible. And then every once in a while, there's just like a full page, like full color photograph of like a puppy or a kitten running through like a field. Um, but the best part was, is like, you'd be flipping through like Leviticus or like judges or something and it'd be like a gruesome murder. <laughs> and then just like a golden retriever, like going through some daffodils. Uh, loved it. <laughs> uh there's like that one part about like how that dude's hung like a donkey and then like uh also look at this kitten yeah exactly exactly <laughs> anyway um yeah. that's what I it's a good wants. aside it makes a lot of sense in this one situation that we're in right here actually. <laughs> um all right so like here's all these these are the problems that althusser is talking about but um unlike many people althusser actually has some ideas of what you got to do to fix it uh, and I think that this is actually where the essay just gets extremely exciting because it's easy to point out a lot of the problems. It's kind of stuff that people intuitively feel it's much harder to sort out a kind of workable strategy for them. Yeah. Um, and I think the strength about Sarah's is that his strategy is like equal parts sort of hopeful, but also not naive. Um, so just to kind of set the tone for it, he says, um, that to kind of like address this problem, Um, He says this, if the church is to speak to the people of our day, if it is to reconquer at the price of an inner struggle and authentic religious life, then it must, to begin with, be freed of the domination of feudal and capitalist structures. Secondly, this social emancipation must be accompanied by a real reappropriation of religious life by the faithful themselves. Two tasks have to be accomplished simultaneously, social emancipation and the reconquest of religious life. So, I mean, here's a classic dialectical move, I guess. <laughs> you have the, the social and the kind of um, personal or individual, and then also these two uh, solutions correspond to the two problems of the church's social alienation, right? It doesn't really belong to our society today. And also the religious alienation, that people don't really sort of participate in the church because they really are hearing the good news that it offers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll just say a good writer. <laughs> um <laughs> 
before we start recording, Dean and I were pointing out how he wrote this when he was 31, and we only have a little bit of time left to make sure that we are also this good and smart when we're 31. Um, yeah, I think what uh, I love actually about this, though, is the language of the reconquest of religious life. Um, the Just the idea that, like, there was a time in Altuser's life that he thought, you know, that he thought this optimistically about the church that, like, um, once uh, the material conditions are sort of uh, put in the proper order or whatever, um, religious people could, like, refigure out religious life. That's such a, like, <laughs> I don't know, a big thing for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, like, you know, he wouldn't just sit, think, like, well, and then that's the end of religion or whatever because people, you know, believe in religion for only these reasons but that there's a religious life on the other side of social emancipation uh love it it's my favorite type of religious life (laughs) yeah exactly no it's great it's great um he actually goes out of his way to give us uh three really neat uh bulleted points here that are related to this um they'll read out so he says no christian sincerely concerned about the destiny of the church can fail to conclude i love that that's a really good gauntlet to throw um you hear that here's what you can't feel fail to conclude out there just try see (laughs) see if you can do it just try to fail to conclude um (laughs) so three three things that you can't fail to conclude uh first is in the present situation only the organized proletariat and its allies is capable of combating in a concrete sense precisely those feudal and capitalist structures responsible for the church's alienation so we'll talk we'll talk about that in a minute. I'll read the other two and we can just come back to them. Uh, two, that the struggle for the social emancipation of the church is inseparable from the proletariat's present struggle for human in- emancipation. And three, that the Christian who truly wishes to put an end to the church's social alienation has to play a real part in the ranks of the proletariat in the one struggle that can destroy feudal and capitalist structures, the political, social, and ideological struggle of the organized working class. Um, three great points. Three, Love these points. Three great points that I cannot fail to conclude. Uh, can't even imagine doing that. <laughs> I've succeeded to conclude them. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's break them down one after another here. Um, what do you make of that first one, Matt? Uh, it's a a supremely Marxist point. <laughs> <laughs> Only the proletariat is capable of com- combating capitalist structures. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I like the way he does add at the very end, um, only the organized proletariat uh, can actually fight against the capitalist structures responsible for the church's alienation. So it's good because the social emancipation that we all need to figure out what religion and Christianity should actually look like, um, we can only figure it out in light of the proletariat success. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um I like it, too, because the idea is that the church can't really um, fix itself just by having, like, better theology or better rhetoric or better preaching. Um, you know, if you think of, like, there are so many articles, even just by, like, non-Marxists, by, like, average Christians who look around the church and they see that people just aren't really connecting. Um, there's so there's just article after article of people being like, well, that's because, like, we're not preaching right or, like, right. you know, the whatever. Like, there, there's a million attempted solutions, but obviously none of them are actually successful. Uh, at least so far, none of them have succeeded. Um, right. Like, why aren't millennials showing up at church? Uh, but it's actually because of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, like like, funny, but also, like, probably not untrue in some interesting ways. For sure. For sure. Um, 
I, I love that Althusser kind of brings this down to like, well, there's a real practical material reason that this is the case. Um, and it's good, too, because he also like he does put blame on the church for sure throughout this whole essay. But he also sees the church as being sort of like imprisoned by this, that like the church also needs to get liberated so that it can be its true self outside of feudal and capitalist structures. Um, I think that's like a really powerful point as well, that uh, it's the proletariat is the ally of the church, precisely because the proletariat could actually liberate the church to be what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it is also one of those. I mean, like to me, it's such a supremely Marxist point, too, because it is set up in such a base and superstructure kind of way where it's like, you know, you have to have the right if you want if you're if you, like religion part of the superstructure, if you want that to work right, you have to have the base, you know, set up right as well. Right. So it is just like a, it's a it's a good Marxist take on religion. I don't know. It's it's sound, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. It's it's just like it's just interesting and unusual to hear, um, uh, you know, a Marxist make such a like solid point about why <laughs> why Christianity <laughs> is messed up and like what conditions it would have to be in to for it to be better. Yeah, I, lo- I love this point, too, because it creates such an interesting space for dialogue between Christians and Marxists, because, you know, whereas Marxists, some some Marxists are sincerely like annoying atheists, right? They're basically like, oh, you can't be a Christian and a revolutionary. Um, well, Christians can say, yeah, like nobody can really be a revolutionary under capitalism, right? Like, that's the problem. Um but if you can kind of make a space for like a Christianity that isn't a sort of servant of capital, well, why not? Like, why can't people sort of enrich their lives that way? Right. That, I mean, that's a, a good Leninist take that uh, nobody cares about what people believe about heaven uh, as long as they've got unity in the struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess that sort of speaks to the second point, right? That the struggle for social emancipation in the church is intimately tied, uh, or he says not separable from the proletariat struggle. Yep. And then uh, the last point then, (laughs) really, really leading right into it. Christians just have to uh, kind of like help, help. uh, I mean, they're either already part of the proletariat or they should join the communists and, uh, you know, struggle alongside the proletariat. Yeah. Um, also a great point, the like, if you want to help the church, then be a good communist. <laughs> yeah, that's actually uh, a really wild way of thinking about it too, right? If you if you got it if you want to get those millennials in church uh, <laughs> if you want to get those millennials in church, pastors, uh this is how you do it. This is how you do it, Brian. Brian's on. Bri- <laughs> Brian's on, please. This is how you do it. <laughs> Brian's on, please go to the strike. <laughs> Okay, after those three points, uh, Althusser goes on and says this thing, this next very good thing. While participating in this political and social struggle, which alone can reduce collective alienation because it alone is commensurate with that alienation, the Christian must pursue, at the personal level, the reduction of alienation and the reconquest of his religious life, um, or her or their religious life. Uh, Such reduction implies the destruction and critique at the personal level of all the alienated forms, even an informed believer is obliged to pass through in the present state of the church. If uh, he, she, or they is to have access to religious life, this reduction must be brought to bear on the church's conceptual universe, theology, and moral system. It's theory of the family of education of Catholic action of the parish, etc. So you got to change the church y'all. That's like what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, that political and social struggle. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna change society, you gotta change society, and then you gotta change church along with it. 
Yeah, I like too though that there's a kind of like spiritual discipline here as well, right? That um Yeah. You have to like you have to work all the stuff out in yourself as well. If you want to work this out in the social, you have to at a at a personal level find a way to uh, dismantle all the ways in which you've been sort of formed by like pre-capitalist and capitalist uh institutions like family or education or even like he goes on to say, you know, how we understand Catholic action or being part of the parish. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because there's like a really um, non-pessimistic like criticism, like self-criticism here. That's like, you know, it's like um, having to work through the the capitalist ideology that's latent within Christianity. But it's like in a very, yeah, I guess like that's a good way to put it. It's like a spiritual type of discipline where it's like you have to find the things that ought to be reduced. Um and that will help you be a better Christian. Yeah. So we had uh, Evangelical Althusser. I guess this is like uh, Oprah Althusser. You got to live your truth. Um, yeah. <laughs> you got to gotta do some self-work. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> um, all right. So that's kind of the individual side of the equation. We we briefly touched on the idea of like, all right, you should join, you know, uh, the working class or the struggle of the working class if you want to save the church. Um, but... Althusser actually brings these two things together at the end of his essay in a really interesting way, too, where he starts to think through, well, what about small kind of collectives of Christians? What could they do? Um, and this is also something that got me really thinking about, like, Friendly Fire and other groups that we've talked about, like Christians for Socialism and the Catholic Worker on this podcast in the past. Um, they really kind of embody, I think, this this last reflection from Althusser. Uh, so it's kind of a long paragraph, but I'm going to go for it. So Althusser says this. Um, such groups of self-critical Christians, that's kind of who he's referring to, are relatively small and terribly isolated in the immense world of the church. They are active in its margins, in milieu that have themselves been severely shaken by the events of the century. They can hardly be active anywhere but there, in pockets of humanity that are already on the way to reducing capitalist alienation. Yet even there, when they meet with humanity's silence, they question themselves, wondering why their voice is not heard, without realizing that, even if they pursued their self-criticism to the point of being able to offer people a truth they could recognize as truly theirs, they could not by themselves counter the collective might of the church or its language, precepts, and alliances. They continue to feel that they are of little moment because they are on the fringes of the church and cannot seriously expect to shake it from within, without inducing it to threaten or repudiate them. Although the objective conditions for a social emancipation of the church through the proletarian struggle already exist, the conditions for a collective reconquest of religious life have not yet been created. To create them, the church as a whole would have to be capable of undertaking its self-criticism, but it is subject to the law of structures which defend themselves and will not tolerate being questioned. It's necessary then to shatter these structures and struggle against the forces protecting them. Okay, so it's a big chunk of text, um, but a couple things that come out for me here. Uh, I think are just like um, this idea that there are these small groups of Christians that are kind of on the on the fringe already uh, and they have a hard time like getting a hearing outside the church, but also a hard time getting a hearing inside the church, I think is an anxiety that a lot of radical Christians have. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I really admire about Friendly Fire is that they kind of have just like accepted that, <laughs> I think, better than most people um, and most kind of Christian radicals is that you know, they're, they're not really like waiting around for the church to decide to, you know, hear them or not. 
Um, and that's something that I think a lot of radical Christians really just have a hard time with. You know, they, they expect that the church should listen to them because they're making like a good theological argument or a biblical argument or whatever. Um, but Althusser is making a materialist point that uh, no matter how, how radical and self-critical you might be on your own, without sort of changing the conditions that make the church the way that it is underneath all the arguments, you're never going to win that argument. And I think that's like a good healthy dose of, of pessimism, I guess, um, or like just kind of a realism, right? That the, the church doesn't think the way that it thinks because of uh, its arguments. It thinks the way that it thinks because of its like material sort of buoys that hold it up. Yeah, I think that's right. I, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's pessimistic. I guess it's, I think it is, re- it is realistic, not, but I guess that's what a pessimist would say. But, uh, <laughs> but what I like about it too is that, I mean, for me, it makes me think of the ways that, okay, there are these like groups on the fringes and on the margins. And like, that's what exclusively we pay attention to on this podcast. Um, and in the act of doing that and kind of like paying attention to those people, we can decenter the types of like uh, Christianity that might have repudiated them in the first place. So that like, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the people who have been good at self-criticism of the church have been, I think, people from within it. I mean, sometimes at least. Um, and that in in trying to find, like, um, you know, the, the reconquest of religious life on the other side of social emancipation from capitalism, like, we have at least, at the very least, we have this history of sort of, like, you know, those, those like, troublemakers or the people that have always been good at self-criticism to always reflect back on. That there is like, um, while, you know, almost entirely the history of the church is um, <laughs> uh, full of people who would have repudiated self-criticism, at least there are people who we can look to for like that tradition of a self-reflective Christianity that tries to figure itself out in light of like a bad type of Christianity to draw from. Like, I guess that that um, that sort of tradition that is on the margins of christianity um becomes really important if we are to re like um reconsider or like rebuild a type of christianity after this sort of situation yeah absolutely i mean that that i think is exactly what althusser says at the very very end of the essay that we opened the the episode with um right the like well i'll just kind of read part of it again where he says the future of the church depends on number and the courage of those christians who day by day are developing an awareness of the necessity of the struggle and joining the ranks of the world proletariat. It depends on the concrete reduction by these same people of their own religious alienation. I think that, like, you're exactly right, right? That, like, um, thankfully there are already people who have done that. And, like, uh, even though Althusser doesn't think that um, a few people sort of doing this is going to change the whole church, he also kind of in the same breath says, well, the future of the church actually depends on them sort of failing to do that uh, one way or another. Um, that sort of, I guess maybe that's sort of the optimist side to the, the pessimist or, or realistic view um, that the church is too tied to its capitalist structures. Is like, it's also a fact that not every Christian has been totally and completely determined by them or something. Yeah. And, Okay, so this makes me think back to uh, Adam Kotzko, and we were kind of talking about the the no true the no true Christian discourse or something, mm-hmm. and um, he was saying that you know some people want to some Christians want to find ways to go back to a true Christianity or something you know like the Christianity that is um, uh, untouched by like white supremacism or capitalism or you know and um, 
I think that when you look for those types of Christianity that are, you know, true because of their historicism or something, you end up not really finding them and constructing them in sort of some less intellectually honest ways. Yeah, for sure. Whereas what Althusser is suggesting here is that, like, um, there's a reason to be a Christian, and, like, there are people who have expressed those reasons historically and traditionally, but there are, like, also things that you ought to just, like, get rid of, and, like, you should find this different way to constitute your religion um, that does not rely on, um, yeah, forces of oppression, I suppose, is what you might just call them. And I like that because it's not like seeking for it's it's building an authentic religion rather than finding one that's already like kind of constructed, you know, through a specific historical hermeneutic. Yeah, totally. And it's great, too, because it also depends on linking the church with other liberation movements that like you can't just like construct a sort of pure theology and then kind of work backwards from there about like how you're going to act in society like for Althusser, it all comes kind of at the same time. Like, you've got to get sort of messy with the, you know, the working class if you want to uh, sort of figure out how to shake the church loose as well. Um, I think that's great, too, because I do see a lot of folks. I mean, Harawas is kind of one example that we pick on sometimes. But I think there's also just a general kind of assumption that, you know, even if you're not looking back to, like, the early church fathers or some kind of weird period in, like, medieval society, um I think some people do think that, well, if you just have like, you know, orthodoxy um, or if we could just kind of like refine our our orthodoxy and figure out the creeds that we all agree on, then like then we would figure it out. Um, And that's not to disparage, I guess, people who get a rise out of that or whatever. It's fine. But like the idea that um, you would have to the most important thing would not be that the most important thing would actually be like finding a way to sort of say all these things within the context of a proletarian struggle. I think that's like a real gift that Althusser kind of gives us in this essay. Yeah, sounds right to me in this essay, in this uh, Althusser teen study Bible. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure they'll have one. They'll produce an Althusser teen study Bible uh, in June at this retreat. What ways do you see Christ in the proletarian revolution? (laughs) Think back to a time when you were in high school, when capitalism oppressed you. Think back to a time that you showed up late and you still got paid the same amount of money as the guy who showed up early. <laughs> um, hey, so on Twitter the other day, I actually saw a picture of a uh, teen study Bible and it did send a shiver down my spine. <laughs> I, had a, I had a visceral and bodily reaction to it that was just like overwhelmingly negative. I love that. That's really good. Um, yeah. That's an episode that one day we ought to do uh, an episode on uh, commodity fetishism and Adorno and study Bibles. Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I love that. Gotta get the troops Bible, the Bible for the troops. <laughs> the Bible for the troops, indeed. Uh, you can get Donald Trump to sign one, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, uh, all this to say, I guess, um, if you, like Althusser, uh, believe that another church is possible, there's a whole group of people that also think that, and they are going to get together in Minnesota this summer, and they could use your support. Um, they could use your presence, too. It's a very open kind of invitational thing, and 
Um, we encourage you to get involved. But if you can't go and you just want to support them also, they do need a lot of financial help. And um, they're just really, really great people. We can't say enough good things about them. And we're trying to work out ways to get there ourselves. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to. But nevertheless, it'll be an amazing thing. And we're we're proud to, to support it. And uh, it's good to know that another church is possible because there are actually other people who are getting together uh, to figure that out. <laughs> Uh, it's like the uh, the financial drive season on radio. So if you listen to NPR ever, uh, you're gonna hear a lot of like uh, pleas for money for things to support their station. <laughs> um, hey, listen, this is ours though. Uh, give money to the Friendly Fire folks so that we that's, so that we can all go to this cool conference, uh, this <laughs> cool uh, retreat meetup, and hang out in Minnesota. Um, there's no, uh, I guess you can give them money. That's the donation. There's no like pins or tote bags. Uh, the only thing that you really get if you give them money or show up to this retreat is communism. So, uh, just freaking go. Yeah. It it shaves years off your purgatory sentence as well. (laughs) Okay. That's the other one. That's the other thing you get. Yeah. Yeah. Shave those years off of your purgatory sentence and, uh, you put them in your tote bag and you go right on to that beatific vision. And you, you give those years to people like Joel Osteen. Ooh, you, that's the cool thing about the tote bag is that they're, that's how you transfer them. <laughs> <laughs> the official that's purgatory great. transfer bag. I'm glad someone's got that figured out. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, and you definitely did, this episode is a good one. And I know you loved it. You can give us money on <laughs> Patreon.com. But hey, this week, go and give some money to the Friendly Fire folks. Again, just going to tell you to keep doing it. Uh, it's good, and you should do that. Um, but you can also follow us places like uh, Twitter, uh, at The Magnificast. Uh, we have a Facebook group that I don't look at anymore because Facebook is evil. Um, but <laughs> you can go join it if you want to, and that's just fine. Uh, cool. Uh, the music, uh, shoot. Intro music is by Mario Armstrong. Outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. Thank you so much, musicians, for giving us uh, the music that we use. It's very cool of you. Cool. See you next time. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord